I am so glad to be back. We're, uh, worship team, thank you. Natalie, thank you. Um, how are you feeling, church? Good, good, good. Well, I want to I wanna thank uh, Jamie Savannah. He did an amazing job. I got to listen to his message on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's literally my my absolute most favorite passages in all of scripture, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and he got, he got to preach on that and just uh, bring God's word to light and to life, and so uh, we want to thank him for that. Also, uh, Pastor Raquel Pena, my daughter, she, our daughter, she did amazing. I kept hearing from you guys, what a blessing, uh, probably her best message yet, and I agree with you, it was on honor. And how a culture of honor should define us as God's children, as, as God's people. And uh, how many of you know honor is important? Honoring our parents, honoring our grandparents, honoring his word, honoring his house, honoring one another. And the Bible says that we should outdo one another in showing each other honor. You know, yesterday I was listening to a particular uh, basketball game. I won't tell you which one, but you can tell by the color of my shoes. Um, which basketball game it might have been, and who won, but, but that's for another day. Um, what I will tell you is that Dick Vitale was the announcer, was the broadcaster, and uh, he also has partnered with somebody. Now, Dick Vitale has won. Um, he's, he's a Hall of Fame announcer, broadcaster. I mean, he's, he's been around forever, and, and uh, late in his years as he is, uh, sometimes he might repeat himself or he might forget a thought or he might, you know, and, and, and it's, I just found it so beautiful that the person uh, broadcasting next to him, and I forget his name, was so honoring to him. You could tell a genuine affection towards him and a genuine care and love. And, and I thought, you know what, I wish the world would see us that way, church, that we just have an honor towards people. It's easy in this society to tear each other down and to dishonor. That, that seems to be everywhere, but we're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We're called to exemplify our Savior King. Amen. Now, um, there are big things happening in the world. You know, I could not wait to get back. Now, you might be saying, Pastor, have you started preaching yet? I don't start until I say, are you ready for God's word? So, so we haven't started yet. This is just introduction. Just saying, man, I couldn't wait to get back. There's revival taking place. God is moving. He's moving in Kentucky. He's moving in campuses across the Midwest and even in Texas, and I can't help but feel that God is saying, I want to do something in Bastrop, Texas. Ever since our fast and our week of fast, and we're going to launch into another before Resurrection Sunday because God is moving in this place. And I want to start getting you excited and ready for what He's doing. Now, <coughs> give you an idea, we drove through a blizzard to get back here. And uh, it's because God is up to something. Now, you might be focused on the wrong thing because it's easy to get focused on what the enemy's up to because he's up to a lot. There's all sorts of crazy things happening out there. Isn't that true? <coughs> I 
I hear all the time, I hear things like, um, you know, some really influential people have said, this generation is the last generation to die and the first generation to live forever. The one that's alive on the earth today. I'll take it. Think about that with me for a second. Why are they saying such things? Because they believe through nanotechnology, genetic manipulation, or genetic um, technology, we're going to be offered eternal life in a very worldly sense. That's what the world's up to. And so if you can see that the world is preparing for something big, we as Christians need to be preparing for something big because like the world, they notice that things are happening. Guess what? God is moving in his kingdom and he is preparing the way for his return. But I don't want you to focus on what the enemy's up to. I want you to start focusing on what God is up to. Notice, notice he's sparking revival in people's hearts. And even in my heart, over a year ago, the Lord began to put on my heart our young people from 30 and below. And I say it often, and I see it in some of your faces, like, we just missed the cut. <laughs> and I love some of you 50-year-olds, you know, y'all are like, no, I'm still in it. I'm claiming that. In the name of Jesus, I'm claiming this bl that blessing. Yes. You know what? I believe that this generation alive on the earth today, the reason you're being attacked so strongly by the enemy, I mean, he's putting a full court press on you because he knows that God is returning. He knows that God is returning. Now, you might say, Pastor, no one knows the day or the hour. You might not know the day or the hour, but you know the season. How do you know the season? Because Jesus Christ himself said, when you see these signs happening, you know that that generation, that generation, that generation will not pass away before it all takes place. And guess what? It's happening. It's happening. Look towards Israel. Look to the scriptures. How many prophecies are being fulfilled right now? since 1948, but I don't, that's not what I came to tell you. Still haven't started yet. <laughs> now, come on, let's get started. Are you ready for God's word? Yeah. Amen. Because God's word is something powerful. And that's why I couldn't wait to get back. The truth is, we have, there's power in God's word, and God's word says, I give you authority to pray for things. So I want to share with you, a couple of years ago in Colorado, we go, we go vacation there. We were in Colorado, and my, we drive in, and my wife starts crying. I go, oh, man, she loves Colorado. She goes, there's no snow. I can see this in Texas. I said, no, you can't see those mountains in Texas. <laughs> those mountains are beautiful, with or without snow. <laughs> but she wanted snow, and so, my, and we had brought our nephews with us, our, and my, my brother's family, and they were like, Deal, Chris, that's Uncle Chris, I thought there, were, there was supposed to be snow here. I said, well, I ordered it, but <laughs> Amazon's a little late in delivering it. You know, I don't know. And so um, he goes, what are we going to do? And I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray. So we go into Walmart to pick up some supplies right up front, right as we get there. And the man checking out uh, looks like he's from there. And I said, hey, you think we'll get any snow? He says, absolutely not. I said, what? 
He said, I was born and raised here. When this happens in California, we get no snow. And this year, this is what's going on in California because there's forest fires and they've changed the atmosphere, da 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 da, da and that's why we've got no snow. And I said, well, we're praying for it. And he said, doesn't matter if you pray, you're not having snow. I said, you don't know my God. He's amazing, we're praying for it. And my little nephew goes, yeah. I said, wow, when two or three, right, agree in his name, shall be done. So we drove to Durango, no snow. The snow started coming down while we're in Durango. We were celebrating and having a great old time until six inches piled up like that, and I couldn't get back. Because I got a two-wheel drive little thing, you know, and it's skiing all over the road. And I'm like a Texan going, oh, what am I going to do? And now we're praying, Lord, stay your hand, slow the snow down. We're singing worship songs just trying to keep it between, like, the pine trees, right? Anyway, we learned something that day. We learned that God answers prayer. You say, but you've already known that. But isn't it funny how God has to keep repeating lessons with us? Maybe you're here today and you needed to hear that again. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. You hear me? God answers prayer. So Melissa's gotten real hip to this. She starts praying a month ahead of our trip. Bring snow, bring snow, bring snow, bring snow. And let us get in and then pile it on. So we drove in and it piled on. I'm talking 12 inches in one day. I'm like, what in the world is going on? This is awesome. We're playing. We're making igloos. We're just like Texans outside. You know, people were driving by and we're like, honk it up. And they're like, you're weird. <laughs> you're going to have to shovel that, you know. And we're shoveling it, having a great old time, you know. But then it wouldn't stop. <laughs> and they kept saying, this is historic blizzard. And then we're like, oh my gosh, it's time to go back. And I've never experienced this. How long? I, don't, I think they're going to kick us out of the Airbnb. They, you know, they don't want me here. And then revival's taking place. i got to get back to the church. God is doing something. i got to get back. So I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I felt in my heart. He said, go. So I went. It was a whiteout. And I couldn't see. And I'm driving a white truck. And my son-in-law rented a white vehicle. And we're following each other about three miles per hour. <laughs> trying to get through the mountains. Hoping I'm on the road. You know what I mean? And then you see a Tesla off the road. And you see this, you see that? dude just like, just keep it between the lines. <laughs> what lines? You might say, okay, pastor, what does is, what is all that have to do with God's word? Sometimes you just have to trust the Lord and take it slow, but keep moving forward. And say, Lord, I'm not staying back. I'm not getting comfortable. I'm not hanging out. I'm moving towards revival. I'm moving towards my church. I'm coming to Sunday morning service. I don't care what it takes. God, I heard your voice. You said, go, I'm going. And I'm trusting in you. I fear nothing because I will be here as long as you need me here. And not one second sooner will my life be taken. Because I trust in you. I trust in you. You're ready for God's word? The title of today's message is this. Trust in the Lord. Trust the Lord. 
trust the Lord. And I want to remind you of where we've been. We've talked about the fall. And I want to share some things about the craziness of this world because this world says things like this. Well, you Christians keep making a big deal about, about this lifestyle or that lifestyle or this practice or that practice. How can you make such a big deal if God created us that way? Or created so-and-so that way, or created me that way, or created. Can I tell you, God didn't create an imperfect world. He created a perfect world, and he said it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. Until man decided to take it into his own hands and step outside of God's perfect will. And that's called the fall. The fall. And since the fall, Adam and Eve experienced the effect of sin. Changed something, gave us a sinful nature. Can I tell you, it makes no difference to us Christians who was born what way? We were all born sinful. You might have a proclivity towards this lifestyle or that habit or that filth or that sin or that evil. It's all the same. Sin. And what does Christianity say? Die to that. And by the power of Jesus Christ, let him wash you white as snow and overcome it. Overcome it. Can I get an amen, please? Think about it. I was born a jerk. I was. I have a natural proclivity to be like a jerk. I say, well, that's the way I was born, so I'm going to be a jerk to everybody. No. No. Somebody might say, I was born a thief. Somebody might say, I was born an adulterer. I just love having sex with women. So I'm going to try to do, I mean, go and do as many, many bad things to fulfill my nature because that's what I was born. No, Jesus Christ said, doesn't matter how you were born. You're a fallen creature. Now be born again. Be born again in righteousness, in right. Can I get an amen, please? Do you hear what I'm saying? See, the world is talking to us, and we're accepting it. No, read your Bible. The Bible says that's called the fall, and there is a sacrifice. And he shows us that from the minute he put us out of the garden, there had to be a sacrifice. Think about this with me for a second. We see it all the time in these shows that we're being, we're being shown. Like, for instance, how many of you have ever seen Alone, where they put people out there with no supplies, no clothes, and they say, you got to make it. And they throw them off the ship, and they got to just make it, right? Imagine Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, and now they got to make it. There's bugs. There's hurricanes. There's floods. There's, you got to eat. There's all these things having to take place. And so what we've talked about already is that it takes sacrifice. Think about this with me for a second. Sacrifice. If you forego your pleasure today, you can improve tomorrow. And so God was teaching them something. If you what? If you sacrifice, you can make tomorrow better. Why? Because it would ultimately point to Jesus, who would be the ultimate sacrifice and make the ultimate tomorrow better. And he wanted us to get the concept. But the world is trying to tell us differently. I don't care what the world is saying. God is bringing revival, and it's based on this word. 
And his word is clear. His word is clear saying, there's a sacrifice. I will send my son. He died on the cross. And when you die to yourself and accept him, you can live in him for eternity. Hey, I've had to learn how to not be a jerk. How? By dying to myself. Amen? You go, that's an easy one. Well, you haven't tried it. It's a hard one. <laughs> right? Uh, you got some other fellow jerks going, yeah. <laughs> okay, today I want to talk to you in the 20 minutes that I have about, I, I had to bring you up to speed because it's been two weeks since I preached. I want it to fit together. Today's message is going to be about his word, his love, peace, and joy. It fits with the fall, sacrifice, and life. Because his word tells us about the fall. His word tells us about the sacrifice of his love, right? And then ultimately, life is meant to be lived with peace and joy. So these messages fit perfectly together. Are you ready? His word has a specific component or mechanism called prophecy. Now, I want you to be very careful with prophecy because many times people think that prophecy is foretelling, telling the future. Prophecy has three components. It's the telling of the truth. And it could be telling the truth yesterday, today, and tomorrow. What was, what is, and is to come. Why? Because God is truth, and when he presents himself, he can present himself transcending or being outside of our space and time. And his word is the only place you can find the mechanism of prophecy. The only place. I don't care if you look at Buddha's writings, or Confucius' writings, or Muhammad's writings, or any other book on God's earth, it will not compare to the Bible. Some people like to bring up Nostradamus. Nostradamus um, would have been stoned by biblical standards. He wasn't accurate enough. What Nostradamus is, is good guesses by the enemy. God doesn't guess. He tells you exactly. In fact, he gave over 400 precise prophecies of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now, this did cause some confusion because we're prone to be confused. Come on, anyone ever gotten confused? I remember getting confused in finance, studied the wrong chapter, made an F. Hey, simple mistake, right? Not so simple solution. But, but we get confused. And so I want to read to you from the book of Revelation, our focal passage. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear. So would you read with me the prophecies of the Lord and receive a blessing today? Yes. Come on. It says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of his, what? Prophecy. And keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. The time is near. Now watch this. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. We'll talk more about that in a second. The firstborn, firstborn 
from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Do you realize the Bible prophesied a lot about Jesus' coming? I, I already said over 400 prophecies of Jesus' coming. And I also said that it they, they can be confusing at times. I'll explain why they can be confusing in a second. But consider some of the prophecies that took place. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the Bible tells us that he would be from Bethlehem, a small little country town. A small little country town. He would just be from, a, from, from an ordinary place. The Bible also tells us in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that he would be born of a teenage virgin girl. Think about it. A small country town, born of a virgin girl, and they gossiped about him. Think about that. The king of all glory humbles himself to be born through the birth canal to nurse at a teenage girl's breast with the entire country town gossiping about her. Humble beginnings, isn't it? But that's what the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. How about Daniel 9, 24 through the end of the chapter? It tells us that, that Messiah would come and be revealed on the exact day that he was revealed. Did you know that? Points to the exact day. I've done the calculations for you. But then also says that he would be cut off. That he would be cut off. That he would be crucified. So he would be revealed and then immediately, what? Cut off? What is Daniel saying? How about Zechariah 9, 9? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey, that he would come in as a conquering king to Jerusalem, the city of God, on a donkey, not a great white horse. I want you to think about this. When was the last time you saw a king coming into his triumphal entry on a little, on a little burrito? And I mean, that's just, just wild. But it happened. It happened, guys. Think about this with me for a second. Jeremiah 30 verse 9 says this, But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. The Bible declares that he will be from the line of David. Matthew and Luke both share the genealogy that attests that he was from the line of David. He was from the line of David. Zechariah eleven twelve 12 says and predicts that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And those 30 pieces of silver would be thrown into the temple and then used to buy a potter's field to bury him in. Or, or 
do you understand what's taking place here? Not to bury him in, but a potter's field for those that need burial. Isaiah 53 says that he would be despised, rejected by all men. He would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says that he would be wounded, that he would be bruised, that he would be whipped to the point that he would have bloody stripes. uh, Psalms 22 verse 16 says that his hands would be pierced and his feet would be pierced. Why am I sharing all this? Isaiah, I mean, excuse me, uh, Psalms 22 verse 18 says that they would divide his garments and cast lots for him or gamble for who would take his clothes. In fact, it happened. All of these things happened. The fact is I could read 400 of these. How about Isaiah 52, 14? But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. In fact, his closest friends would confuse him for the gardener when he rose from the dead. Because he was so... Matthew 24 tells us this. Listen very, very closely. Are you with me? Are you tired of the reading of God's word? I want to share with you, God's word will change your life. Listen to this. Listen to this. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Jesus is saying, listen, generation, it's beginning to take place in your lifetime. You say, but those already took place. That's what I wanted to tell you. The confusion has been in that many people who read God's word and read all these prophecies about the Messiah, they get confused trying to recognize reconcile all of these into one coming. Can I tell you it wasn't one coming, it's two comings. The first one and then the second one. See, God's word describes him as a lamb, but also as the lion of Judah. Describes him as a baby in a manger, also the prince of glory that sits at the right hand of the father. A broken man on the cross. The King of kings and Lord of lords that comes on a white horse and splits heaven wide open. There's two comings. I've read to you some of the first coming, but are you familiar with the ones that apply to us? His second coming. His second coming is around the corner, guys. It's around the corner. And I want you to know that you can trust his word in fact Psalms 138 says that his word is above his name. And his name is to be reverenced and holy. It's a strong tower and it's sure. And his word is even above that. That means if he said it, it shall be. It shall be. It shall be. You say, but why are you saying this? Because there's a lot of confusion in the earth today. And don't be so quick to think that you can't get confused. Even the disciples got confused, and they grew up on this scripture. They grew up on this scripture. Do you realize the disciples got confused? What do you mean they got confused? Well, I read in Matthew chapter 16, 
that Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And a miracle takes place. Peter gets the right answer. Peter never got the right answer. But on this occasion, he gets the right answer. What does he say? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I read about you, and you are that one that was prophesied in the Holy Scriptures. Listen to what Jesus says to him. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, a miracle, God revealed it to him. Watch. And I also say to you that you are now Peter. And upon this confession, that will be the rock, the foundation. Why are we called foundation? Because we are built on the gospel message that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. That's what it means. Upon that foundation, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Oh, before you celebrate, just a few verses later, how many verses? This is verse 17 and verse 18. By verse 23, just a few verses down, he says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Talking to Peter. <laughs> Why? How did he get confused so quickly? You know how he got confused? Because we are human and we're easily confused when we're not led by the Holy Spirit. How did he get confused? Because maybe he had these verses in mind. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, verse 5, the Bible says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Peter's saying, yeah, that's the one I, I'm, I'm thinking of. That's the one I'm thinking about. How about Daniel 2.44 that says, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the earth, and it shall stand forever. How about Daniel 7, verse 13 through 14 says, I was watching... In the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Same words that Revelation uses. He will come in the clouds of... Do you know Matthew 24 says he will come in the clouds of heaven. So when, the clou when, when there's a cloudy day, I always get excited. <laughs> no, this could be the day. This could be the day. Okay, well watch. Coming in the clouds of heaven... He came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which, will, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Isaiah 9, 7 says, of the increase of his government and peace... There will be no end. You can read the rest. Let's just keep going. Psalm 72 says this. In his days, the righteous shall flourish. An abundance of peace. 
until the noon, until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from river to the end of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick his dust. Maybe that's what Peter was thinking when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. This was revealed to you by my father in heaven. And then he began to tell them, I'm going to have to go and die. And Peter said, no, you won't die. In fact, the Bible says that your enemies will lick your dust. That just sounds cool, doesn't it? I could see one of the kids from the sandlot saying that, you know, lick my dust, you know, and, and he says, no, get behind me, Satan. Why were they confused? Because there's two comings, guys. The first one was in humility to be sacrificed. The second, he comes in glory. He comes in glory. Don't get surprised. Don't get confused. You know it's easy to get confused? And sometimes we get confused about his love, too. That's point number two, love. Love. His love was demonstrated in that he took off his kingly robes. He took off all his privilege. That's why I always talk about a teen, teenage mother in small country, harsh rules. <laughs> Being born with a questionable paternity. And what they were saying about him. And how he had to grow up. He didn't take any advantages. And he did it out of his love for you and me. That he might die on the cross. Why did he have to come in the form of, of, of a humble man? Because in order to get to life after the fall, there must be sacrifice. And there had to be an ultimate sacrifice. God giving his son and Jesus giving himself. But also so that we could relate to him. Anyone of you ever had an ant farm? Ant farm guys anywhere in the room. Okay, one, one ant farm person. Anyone ever try to communicate with an ant hill? Let's suppose you wanted to communicate your love to a, a pile of ants, a, a, a mound of ants. And you went in there and you started poking around. What would happen? The ants would freak out. Can I tell you, in the Old Testament, God comes down to the mountain, sets it on fire, and people freaked out. So he came in the likeness of an ant. Do you get the parallel? What if you wanted to communicate your love to your aunts? You would become an ant and live it from their side. Jesus became a human, lived it from our side, and said, this is how much I love you as I die for you. This is how much I love you as I die for you. But it's easy to get confused. Let me, let me share this with you. We get confused about God's love all the time. And it reminds me of a story I heard once of a lady. She was putting gas in her vehicle, and she noticed that all of a sudden a trucker looked over at her. 
And she got in her car and she drove off and he jumped in his truck. He was across the lot at the diesel pumps and, and, and drove after her. And well, she got on the freeway and he got on the freeway coming after her and she swerved lanes and he swerved lanes and he, she cut in and out of traffic trying to lose him and boy, he just stayed right on her. And it was, it was dusk, it was getting dark and boy, he had those bright lights just right on her, just right on her and he just kept following and following her. Finally, she said, I'm gonna get off and he got off. And then she gets back on the freeway, and he gets back on the freeway, and she's trying to find signal, and she's going, oh, no, I should have picked at and <laughs> I'm just kidding. She doesn't have signal. And then in her nervousness, she drops the phone, and she's freaking out. She says, oh, good, a Bucky's. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a nice lit gas station. So she pulls off, and she drives in. Here comes this trucker right behind her. She's freaking out. She jumps out and she, he jumps out and he's running after her. She starts screaming, ah! <laughs> Bracing for the inevitable, but at least people will see her. And he runs over to her car, opens the back door and drags out a scoundrel that he had seen get into her vehicle when she wasn't looking. She was confused. Christians, sometimes we get confused. We sense, God, we sense God's light. We sense God's presence. We sense God pursuing us. We sense God chasing us down and we're freaking out all the way going, ah! And God is saying, I love you this much. I've come to give you life. I came to protect you. I came to provide for you. I came to watch over you. I, come on. Can I get an amen? See, God's love is demonstrated throughout scripture in the sending of his son. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, yet sinners, Christ died for us. The word commendeth is an old English word that means to entrust for care, preservation. So God, what? Entrusted his love. How? In the person of Jesus Christ for you, his love, that you might know he loves you even though you didn't deserve it. You were a sinner. Oh, but I was born this way, and God says, I know, and I've come that you might be reborn. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 3, unless you be born again, you cannot see eternal life. Do you hear the gospel message this morning? John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, God was defeating death. The greatest, the greatest insecurity or fear that looms over us as humans happened the day we fell and were cast out of the garden and we have to face death every single day. That's where our insecurity comes from. I may not have enough money. Why? Because you might run out and, and, and death happens. My health might fail. Death happens. I don't know the future. That's where you go to die, right? Death. And God dealt with our greatest fear in Jesus Christ. He defeated death. How so? Well, the Bible says, go back to our focal passages. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the what? See, he came, he 
died for our sins and he conquered death. That's why the Bible says, oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? You no longer have dominion over me, Paul says. Why? Because Jesus was the firstborn from the dead and so will you. So will you if you put your trust in him. You don't have to fear death. Some people say, Pastor, were you scared going through the mountains? I'm like, kind of, but not really. God, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I belong to you. At the end of the day, I don't fear what can kill my body. I fear the one that can kill my soul, and you've already purchased it and said you are safe and secure. You have my children, you have my life, you have everything, and I'm gonna serve you until the day you called me home. And you've already determined that it's written in the book of life. So Lord, I don't have, I just, I just need to not be stupid. That's hard sometimes, but I think I can manage going, Lord, should I leave or should I stay? I heard go, I'm going. You know what I also found is that God makes my path straight. When I miss here, he goes, yeah, you misheard, but I got you. And then we're, let's keep going. But watch, he says he's a faithful witness. What does it mean to be a faithful witness? We're almost done. What does it mean to be a faithful witness? To tell the truth. Guess what? No one tells the truth like Jesus. He is the faithful witness. That's why he says, I am the way, the, and the, no one comes to the Father except through him. That's why he's saying, I'm going to tell you the truth. The truth, you want to go to heaven? You've got to come through the truth. You will know the truth. Who is the truth? Jesus. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you because he is a faithful witness, and you can put your faith in him. Not only is he a faithful witness in what he declares, but in how he lives. He shows us the Father. This is why he says to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and Philip says, Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And he goes, Philip, have I not been with you all this time? If you see me, you see the Father. If you know me, you know the Father, because he is the what? Faithful witness. We are now putting our trust in him to be faithful witnesses for him. And this is why the Spirit of God was sent. The Bible says in the book of John that the Spirit was sent to what? Reveal Christ to you and in you that you may be a faithful witness after your Savior. Oh, I got so much good teaching. That was deep, Pastor. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, you're welcome. No, I, I, I just want you to consider we're talking about trust here. Trust his word that is above his name. Trust the love story because when you receive his love in trust, belief, or believe, faith, when you put your belief or you believe in the word of God, you access his love. And when you access his love, it drives out fear. Some of us are are riddled with fear. I just know this because it's plaguing America. It's plaguing America. Depression, anxiety, worry, stress. You want to know the antidote? Trust his word. Trust his word. Everyone else be a liar, but God tells the truth. And if God says he loves you, then what? He loves you. 
If God says he is for you, then what? If God says you can trust me, then if God says he's coming back for you, then if God said, I, if I be for you, who can be against you? Then greater is he who is within you than he who is in the world. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I am faithful and true to forgive if only you ask. And if you ask, I separate it like the east is from the west. I plunge it in the deepest sea. I will be for you. I will fight for you. You can go on and on and just read his word and say, God, I put my faith in this word. Change me by the power of your Holy Spirit. By the power of your Holy Spirit. And that leads to peace and joy. And this is where we finish, peace and joy. This is what prophecy is about. Prophecy is about telling you who wins. That you might have confidence. So I got to tell you something. Um, I'm a Fairweather fan. I don't deserve these shoes. Um, I'm a Baylor fan. You guys know that. And so we went while in, in Durango to watch the Baylor game, and we were whipping Kansas. I mean, we were whipping them good until the second half. <laughs> and we completely fell apart. Like, it was a 30-point swing by the end of the night. And I'm going, you guys you're horrible. You're this, you're that. I'm sick of you. I'll never watch another Baylor game. I'm done. And my wife says, you're a horrible fan. <laughs> so they don't deserve good fans. How do you do that? How do you just have no pride? And I was just going on and on and on. I hope they don't listen to the, to the, to the sermon. But um, I'm just going on. You know, any Fairweather fans in the room? Okay, I'm the only one that admits it. Um, but you can always tell that there's no UT gear today. Ah, ha, 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 ha. there's one over here. I, I, and I love that when you wear, when you wear your colors even when you lose. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, so this is what happens, okay? Um, they're, playing, they're playing Kansas State the next game, and I go, I'm not going to watch it. They lose again. They get a big lead, fall apart in the second half. I'm like, I'm done with them. I, she goes, how many times are you going to declare you're done? I said, this time I'm really done, done. So they're playing Texas yesterday. And I just protest. I'm not watching it. And then I check the score and they win. And I'm like, oh, I need to, I need to find the game. You didn't tape it, so Melissa finds it for me. She's a great wife. <laughs> she finds it for me. And, and you know, I had such peace watching that game. We, we fell behind 4 to 18, and I had perfect peace. Why did I have perfect peace? Come on, guys. What does this have to do with God's word? I'm reading to you from the book of Revelations, the end of the story. He's coming back. He will defeat death. He has defeated it. He will set things right. Things are going to happen, and you can put your trust in it. Now you can sit with peace and joy and understand your king wins. Doesn't matter what the enemy's up to. Doesn't matter what he's doing. God will overcome. Honor and glory be to God.
And so, this is where we finish. In those verses, verse seven, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him. The Bible says those that live outside of his will are his crucifiers. They're his crucifiers. Even they that crucified him, pierced him. And all the nations of the earth will mourn. I use the King James Version there in parentheses. says, shall wail. What does it mean to wail? To just scream bitterly. So there will be two crowds, two camps, two different groups of people. Those on his right hand that will rejoice and say, I knew you were coming for me, Lord. Thank you, God. Glory be to God, the King, Jesus. All hail, King Jesus. God, you came to redeem me. I knew you'd come for me. I knew you'd come for me. Glory be to you. Glory be to you. But there will be another group that will wail, gnash their teeth, and in bitter sorrow say, no. No, it can't be too late. Why did I wait? Why did I not believe? Give me one more chance, Lord. You say, Pastor, are you trying to manipulate me? No. I'm sick of churches not preaching the truth. This is, the, this is God's word. The question is, what do you do with it? You can say, no, I don't want it. I'm going to go at it my own. Which is ultimate pride. Where you can humble yourself. And say, Lord, I receive your word. I put my trust in your son. Change my fallen nature. And give me new life. I want to be reborn in Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anyone here that wants to give their life to Christ and be for certain that on that day you are his? Would you raise your hand? I'm going to ask you to bring the house lights up just a little so I can see. I see your hand back in the back. I see hands right here in front. I see hands over here on my left. Hands on my right. Give them, give them. Give God praise, encourage. Just be filled with his peace and joy as you receive his love. Let it drive out the fear. And just say, Lord, I put my trust in you. Right there from your heart, just say, I put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. As Peter declared, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. You died for my sins. Wash me white as snow as I repent and live for you from this moment on. I repent and I trust that every one of my sins has been washed away. I'm new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Church, if you prayed that prayer, you're born again. Come on, encourage our people. As we take the communion cup, we declare, Lord, thank you for your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. We trust in the finished work of the cross. Until you return. Thank you, Lord. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week.